If you will, open up in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. That's where we will be today in God's Word. The title of our message today is Genuine Gospel Ministry Up Front. Genuine Gospel Ministry Up Front. Before we go to the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, our prayer today is that... Um, that our attitude would be the same, our desire would be the same as that of the psalmist, who said, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. Lord, that, that your word today would lead us away from sin and into holiness. Father, that your word today would, um, would impact us in such a way that we would, we would live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise. And Father, not because we're trying to earn our way to you, but Father, because you have come to us. And so we want your word to, to, um, to lead us into holiness for the praise of Jesus, the one who came to die for our sin, to make us holy. Father, that's our prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In 2008, in 2008 country music artist Kenny Chesney had a number one hit entitled, Everybody wants to go to heaven. And the main line of that song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Now, if the reason that these people um, don't want to go, that, who want to go to heaven, but don't want to go now, if the reason they don't want to go now, the reason they want to stay on the earth for longer is because they want to tell more people about Jesus. Uh, they, have, they still have more people to share about uh, share the gospel with uh, before they get to heaven, then I would I'd kind of agree. Hey, that's a that's a pretty good reason to to want to stay on the earth as long as you can. However, as you know from the song, or if you don't know that song, you've probably guessed it already. That is not at all what that song has in mind. According to that song, if you look at the lyrics, the reason these people don't want to go to heaven now is that they are not ready to give up their sinful lifestyles. Now, I would agree with them that there will be no sinning in heaven. That seems to be the assumption that they have. However, I've got news for all those who agree with uh, Kenny Chesney's song that he, um, that he sings. They don't need to be concerned about getting to heaven too soon. What they need to be concerned about is whether they're going to get to heaven at all. And here's the reason I say that, and I say that with love and compassion and a broken heart for those who... Uh, who believe that. But the reason I can say that is because people who are on their way to heaven don't wait until they get to heaven to give up their love for their sinful lifestyles. People who are on their way to heaven have been transformed by the gospel in such a way that their lives on earth now reflect their future home in heaven. Let me ask you a question. How would you define the gospel? How would you define it? Is it the good news that you get a free ticket to heaven to cash in whenever you stand before God one day, but that otherwise has little or no impact on your life right now? Is it the good news that you get to go to heaven just as you are without any change taking place in your life right now? Is it the good news that you can live however you want and still get into heaven when you die because God's just going to love you and, and forgive you? Let me be upfront with you. If you answer yes to any of those questions, then there's a very high probability that you are not saved. 
If, if that is what you think the gospel is, then heaven is very likely not your final destination. All of those understandings of the gospel have an element of the truth in them, but they are not the true gospel message. See, all of those understandings of the gospel focus on, on, on how the gospel impacts the final destination of the believer, but they leave out how the gospel impacts the present conduct of the believer. And to be sure, salvation, it is a gift of grace. It's, it's not something we work for, but it's not cheap grace. It, it does. The gospel does make demands of our lives right here and right now. We don't earn salvation, but once we have been saved, we do work for the glory of God. We don't change how we live so that we can be saved, but we do live changed lives once we have been saved. If you think the gospel only changes where you go when you die without changing how you live until you die, then you probably are not genuinely saved. But not only is it the case that if, if, if you believe that you're not genuinely saved, it's also the case that if I preach that, if I preach that as the gospel, that the gospel makes no difference in your life right now, then I am not a genuine minister of the gospel. As a genuine minister of the gospel, you should be upfront concerning the change the gospel makes in our lives. As a minister of the gospel, you should be upfront concerning the change that the gospel makes in our lives. Our text today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. And depending on your translation, the, 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 the verses are maybe numbered a little bit different. Verse 12 may start in a little bit different place depending on your translation. But I'm going to start there where it says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If you'll recall from our time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Paul and his companions are defending themselves against accusations that they are not genuine ministers of the gospel, but that they're instead just playing the Thessalonians for personal gain. Paul has laid out his defense in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, providing evidences for the genuineness of his gospel ministry in Thessalonica. We, we've said that uh, genuine gospel ministers are bold, that they're obedient, that they're self-sacrificial. Now, back in verse 3, Paul denied to the Thessalonians with, uh, that, that, that he had any attempt to deceive as a motivation for his coming to them. And when we studied that verse a couple of weeks ago, I made uh, briefly, I made the point that uh, one of the possible ways that Paul could have deceived the people was preaching a watered down version of the gospel. You see, if Paul had left out the hard parts of his message, if he had preached the benefits of believing in Jesus without also preaching the demands that Jesus makes of his followers, then he would have been guilty of deceit. But Paul says in verse three, we're not we're not guilty of deceit. At the here now, at the end of verse 12, um, Paul's as he as he kind of brings to a conclusion, the defense of his ministry, um, he he gives the statement that sheds even more light on his honest dealings with the Thessalonians. You could put it this way. Paul reminds the Thessalonians at the end of verse 12 that he preached the full gospel message. 
the benefits of believing in Jesus along with the demands that come with believing in Jesus. In other words, Paul denies that he is a fraud by reminding them that he was up front with them concerning the whole gospel message. And today I want to focus on uh, Paul's statement here in verse 12 um, concerning the gospel that he and his companions proclaimed to the Thessalonians. What was this gospel? What did he proclaim to them? Namely this. That they were to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of that to which they have been called. They're to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That was the message that they proclaimed. My goal today is to show really by example, I, I pray, that genuine gospel ministry is up front concerning the whole gospel message. I want to be a genuine gospel minister to you today by being up front with you as we unpack this very short but profound gospel statement. And then I want you to do two things. One, examine your life, make sure that you're walking in a manner worthy of God. And then also, though, follow the example of Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. And I want you to be up front with other people concerning the gospel manager. I want you to, I want you to uh, minister this message to them, being up front with the full, whole, complete gospel message. Now notice here um, the, the, this word walk. It's the first thing I want you to notice here, the word walk in verse 12. If your translation doesn't have the word walk, then it probably has the words live lives. Live lives. The actual word in the, in the Greek is the word walk or, or to walk around. This phrase was used in the first century to, uh, to, as a figure of speech to refer to how a person lived his or her life. Someone's behavior or conduct. Someone could refer to your choices or your behavior or your lifestyle as your walk. Today, when someone says you've got to walk the talk, they're doing the same thing. They're using the word walk in the same way. They're, they're talking about um, how the way that you live ought to line up with what you say you believe. That word walk means that the, the choices that you make, that I make uh, each and every day. It's the practical how we live our lives day in and day out. And Paul often uses this word walk in his writings uh, to refer to someone's conduct or behavior. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, he uses it four times. So we're going to see him as we continue through our study of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to see him continue to use this word walk. Now, let's, uh, let's break this statement up into two parts. This, this statement here, um, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The first half consists of the words, walk in a manner worthy of God. And the second half consists of the words, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The first half focuses on the manner of our walk. And, uh, and the second half focuses on the reason for our walk. Or you could, you could put it in the form of a question and answer. The first half addresses the question, um, how should we walk or how should we live our lives? And the second half of this statement addresses the question, why should we walk that way or why should we live that way? And so let's begin with that first question. How should we live or how should we walk? The answer is according to God's standard, according to God's standard. God's standard provides the measure for how we live. God's standard provides the measure for how we live. Paul told the Thessalonians in the first century, and I'm telling you in the 21st century, that the life of a genuine follower of Jesus will reflect not the ways of this world as the standard, but will reflect God as the standard. Paul says we are to walk in a manner worthy of God. 
Just think about that for just a moment. God's word is full of statements that are so easy to just read over when we need to mull over them in our minds. Let that phrase, let that statement sink in to walk in a manner worthy of God. Christian, you are to be walking in a manner where you are to be living your life in a manner worthy of God. I am to be living my life in a manner worthy of God. The word worthy here refers to the worth or the weight of something. But in order to know the worth, the worth or the weight of something, you've got to know what you're, what you're weighing, what you're measuring, what are you valuing. What is it that we're to value or weigh here in this verse? Well, we're, we're to measure our walk and God, our ways and God's ways. We're to put our conduct on one side of the scale and then we're to put God on the other and see whether or not how we live measures up to God's weight or value or worthiness. Now, that's kind of scary if you think about it. I mean, if we're honest, just think of just think about it for a moment. Think back to to this past week. Take your thoughts, your words, your actions from this past week and measure them according to God's thoughts, words and actions from this past week. Now, only you and God know everything that goes on your side of the equation. You, you pile up all of, all of your works and thoughts and, and deeds and all that, are, all that is good. Um, it kind of weighs that down a little bit on that side of the scale. Now we put God on the other side. Well, let me help you with God's uh, weight or worthiness when it comes to his conduct or behavior. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. All right. So let, let's try it this way. Here, here, here's my good works over here from this past week. It kind of weighs it down a little bit. I did some things that were right. Now let's read that verse and weigh God. You ready? We start up here. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of scary when we start comparing ourselves to God. He outweighs us. His goodness, his righteousness, his justice. It means that everything God thought, said, and did this past week was perfect. No slip-ups, no stumbles, no impurities, no mistakes. Perfectly just and perfectly faithful. You could say it this way. Perfectly perfect. That is God. Now, how do our lives compare to that? You see, I think one of the problems we have as Christians is that our standard for measuring our conduct is wrong. We compare ourselves to the world around us or perhaps to other Christians, and our conclusion is that our walk looks pretty good. But neither the world around us nor other Christians are the standard to which we are to be living our lives, holding our lives up to. God is the standard. And whenever we forget that He is the standard for how we are to live our lives, we end up settling for a walk that is something less than what the gospel demands. And over time, we slowly begin to look more like the world around us than looking like the God who has saved us out of this world. In other words, we begin to look more like citizens of Satan's earthly kingdom than citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. Now, perhaps you're saying, Pastor, are you saying that uh, that genuine Christians are perfect people that live perfect lives? No, that's not what I'm saying. That that's a sermon for another time. I can take you to chapter and verses where you say, no, that, that's not that's not the case. And you say, well, Pastor, are you saying that genuine Christians should be trying to live perfect lives? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. But before you say that I'm setting the standard too high, let me just remind you that this isn't what I'm saying. This is what God's word says. He says this in the Old Testament. He says this in the New Testament. Possibly the clearest explanation from Scripture of the standard to which God calls believers is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And there, Peter, writing the New Testament to New Testament believers, quotes from the Old Testament. 
And he says this as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter says, be holy because God is holy. Paul here in First Thessalonians says, walk in a manner worthy of God. So whether it's Peter or Paul, it's all coming from God, the author of Scripture. And God says the standard is God. God is the standard for how we are to be living our lives as Christians. But let's remember the context. Remember what Paul is doing in this passage. He is defending his gospel ministry. He is reminding the Thessalonians of what he taught them as a defense against the accusation that he was trying to deceive them for his own personal gain. Paul's response to that accusation is that he he and his companions were up front. They didn't hide anything. They were up front with them about the demands of the gospel. He taught them accurately what the standard was for their lives as followers of Jesus. He wasn't being deceitful. He was being obedient to Jesus' command. You remember the command that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he ascended up into heaven? This great commission given by King Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. But then the commission continues with a, a summary explanation of what Jesus means by make disciples. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the calling to repentance and faith component of gospel ministry. That's where we say, Jesus died for your sins and you need to believe in him, trust in his finished work on the cross for your salvation. But Jesus doesn't stop with baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the ongoing instruction of how to live component of gospel ministry. Jesus' command is to go and make disciples. So what we learn from the Great Commission is that disciples are not people who merely believe in Jesus so that they can go to heaven when they die. But disciples are people who believe in Jesus and then seek to obey Jesus' teachings on this earth until they die and go to heaven. And there they live perfectly forever. You see, disciples are baptized into the triune God and then they live their lives in a manner worthy of this God. This is the instruction that Paul gave to the Thessalonians. Listen, to walk in a manner worthy of God is to obey the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And Paul and his companions were up front about what Jesus means by disciples. People who seek to live their lives in a manner worthy of God. The gospel impacts our lives right now. It's the message that Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy proclaimed to the Thessalonians. It's the message that I want to proclaim to you and to myself today. The gospel impacts our lives right now, not just our lives after death. God's standard, which is God, provides the measure for how we live. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can make a very dangerous mistake here. If we're not careful, we can go to the the other extreme, and emphasize our living for God to the the neglect of God's grace to us. If we're not careful, we, we can begin to think and lead others to think that the gospel is the good news, that if we live lives worthy of God, 
then we will get to live with God one day. That living for God is the way to get to God. That the way you get to heaven is by obeying Jesus and trying really, really hard to live up to God's standard of perfection. Brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel either. The gospel isn't that you just believe in Jesus, live however you want and get to go to heaven when you die. But it's also not that you have to earn your way to heaven by doing lots and lots of good works to make God love you and accept you. And this is why the second phrase in this statement is extremely important. In fact, I would argue that the second phrase, if I had to say that one was more important than the other, that it's more important than the first phrase. Where the first phrase in this statement in verse 12 focused on what we do for God and we are to do things in service to God. The second statement uh, phrase in this statement focuses on what God has done for us. And that is more important because what God has done for us serves as the foundation for our service to God. The second phrase is this, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory? Whereas the first phrase answered the question, how should we walk according to God's standard, which is himself? The second phrase answers the question, why should we walk that way? The answer is because of God's call. Because of God's call. God's call provides the foundation for how we live. God's call provides the foundation for how we live. Here, Paul roots the lives that we should live for God in the sovereign grace God gives to us. He says that God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This word calls is a very uh, interesting word in the Bible. It's often used to refer to God's initiative in, in drawing those whom he has chosen in eternity past to believe in Jesus for salvation in order to then live with him in eternity future. And God's call is always an act of his grace. Let me just let scripture speak for itself for just a moment concerning this word call. In Galatians chapter one, verse six, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but Paul says that uh, he uses this phrase who called you in the grace of Christ, that God called them in the grace of Christ. Galatians chapter one, verse 15, Paul says this, but when he had set me apart before I was born, And who called me by his grace. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 29 and 30 centers this calling of God completely on the work of God. When Paul says there, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Then those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so when we speak of God's call, we are speaking of his work, his sovereign grace in our lives. We are speaking of what God has done for us, not what we do for God. But Paul gives a little bit more detail in verse 12 than just God's call. What does God call us to? He calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Listen, this is the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that even though we have sinned against God and deserve to be rejected from his kingdom forever, God calls us by his grace. I mean, the free gift, we don't have to earn it. He calls us into his own kingdom and glory. 
God is building a kingdom of people who worship him as the one true God. And this kingdom centers upon the work of Jesus, the king who came to earth, died for sin, rose from the dead, ascended to his father's side in order to rescue us from the kingdom of this world to then belong to God's kingdom. And one day Jesus will return to gather those who belong to his kingdom and we will live with him and reign with him in the place where God's glory dwells. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. And all of that is the work that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. It is his work of grace and it serves as a foundation for our service to God. Listen, God doesn't call us into his own kingdom and glory because we live our lives in a manner worthy of God. God calls us to his own kingdom and glory so that we can and so that we will walk in a manner worthy of God. If you if you think that walking in a manner worthy of God is is a burden, if it feels like a burden to you, Christian, then you are failing to root your walk in God's call. You are forgetting that God's grace precedes your obedience. You are forgetting that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are forgetting that we are saved by grace and not by works. And so we are, yeah, we're to be zealous for good works, as the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, Titus. But we're not to be zealous for good works so that God will bring salvation to us but because salvation has already come to us. You see, our our good works, our living for the glory of God, walking in a manner worthy of God, comes not from a burden of trying to earn God's approval, but it comes from a a relief of having been rescued from our inability to earn God's approval. We walk in a manner worthy of God simply to say thank you to all that God has done for us. God's sovereign grace that calls us to his own kingdom and glory is the foundation for our living for him. Our living for him is not the foundation for him calling us into his kingdom and glory. It's kind of like when you build a house. You think about two by fours for just a moment. Two by fours are really important when you're building a house. I mean, they make great walls. They really do. Two by fours are perfect for, for building walls. But two by fours make a lousy foundation. You don't build your foundation out of two by fours. You build it out of concrete blocks and cement. Our good works are an important part of our lives as followers of Jesus, but they are a lazy foundation for being citizens of the kingdom of God. God's grace to us, his call in our lives is the foundation. And that order matters. First the foundation and then the walls. First, God's saving grace in our lives, his call to salvation into his kingdom and glory. And then lives lived in obedience to him. We don't change our behavior in order to change our eternal destination. No, brothers and sisters, God has graciously changed our eternal destination by his sovereign grace. And therefore, our behavior should and will change as a response to his sovereign grace. So God's standard provides the measure for how we live. But God's call provides the foundation for how we live. Now, let's put these two truths together. What was this message that Paul proclaimed to the Thessalonians? Perhaps we could summarize it this way. The gospel changes how we live in the present. That's that's huge. It changes how we live right now. But. 
it has changed, excuse me, because it has changed where we will live in the future. The gospel changes how we live right now because it has changed where we live in the future. It's kind of like a high school athlete who gets that call that, that he's, he's being recruited and he's got a spot on a, on a college team waiting for him. He doesn't hang up that phone and then call up his coach and say, his high school coach and say, I'm not going to be at practice today. I just got a call saying that I'm on the college team when, I, uh, when school starts next semester. No. He, he hangs up the phone and he races to the gym. He races to, to practice because he wants his walk now to match his calling. He, he wants to go ahead and be getting ready for that time where, where he is on that collegiate level team. And the same should be true in our lives as well as followers of Christ. Listen, we want to live in a manner worthy of God because we've already got that call. We don't sit back and live lazy lives as Christians not caring about the commands of Christ. No, heaven is our, is our destination. That's where we are headed and it impacts how we are living right now. He has called us into His kingdom and glory. He is calling us into His kingdom and glory. And it changes how we live. Here's what I want you to understand. The gospel is the good news. To quote from Paul's words to the Colossians, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is awesome. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. There's a, there's a new citizenship involved when you believe the gospel and God changes your heart and life. Here's what that means, that because you now belong to God's kingdom, your life should and will reflect your new citizenship. Knowing that heaven is where we are headed changes how we live right now. This is why I said earlier that I think the second half of this statement is more important than the first half of the statement. Because if we can saturate our minds in all that God has done for us and the beauty of where we are headed, we will not want anything to do with the filthy ways of this world. Instead, we will only want to engage in conduct befitting a citizen of heaven, a citizen of God's kingdom. And here's what that means. It means that we must, if we want to live lives in a manner worthy of God as followers of Christ, if that's our goal, if we want to do that, then we must live at the cross and the empty tomb. We must live immersed in the gospel. For at the cross, we are reminded of how much God hates sin, but of how much he loves us. We're reminded at the cross of all that God has done for us in forgiving us of our sin. And at the empty tomb, we are reminded of all that God has in store for us as believers. Eternal life, that the grave is not the end. We must live in the gospel. It is the gospel that drives us to live lives uh, in a walk or live our lives in a manner worthy of God. Where we are headed in the future impacts how we live now in the present. As, As Christians, we are headed into God's kingdom and glory. And therefore, we ought to think different and talk different and act different than the world around us. Jesus said that we should pray that God's kingdom come and that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. We're to pray that God's kingdom come from heaven to earth. We're to to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not we're to pray that, uh, that, that God's will just stays in heaven or that His kingdom just stays in heaven. We're to pray that it comes to earth. 
And church, in one sense, we are the answer to that prayer. We ought to be a taste of heaven on earth to the world around us as we submit our wills to the will of God each and every day, as we live lives worthy of God who calls us into His own kingdom and glory, the world gets a a taste of heaven on earth. And unlike that country song, our prayer is is, is that as they see a taste of heaven on earth, that their appetite would be changed from desiring sinful ways of this world the things of this earth to desiring the things of heaven. Things, ways of living, ways of walking that are worthy of God. Let me close just with two applications for Christians and one application for non-Christians. Because all of us fall into one of those two categories. Every person in the world, either we're a Christian or we're not a Christian. We're either a follower of Jesus or we're not a follower of Jesus. So Christian, as a recipient of the gospel, make sure that you are living in a manner worthy of the gospel. A manner worthy of God. A manner worthy of the one who has saved you. As a recipient of the gospel, Christian, make sure you are living in a manner worthy of God. Are you bringing every area of your life under the rule and reign of Christ? Are you seeking to walk in a manner worthy of God in your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your parents, with your grandparents, your aunts and uncles and everybody in in your family? Are you seeking to walk in a manner worthy of God in those relationships? What about in your relationships uh, with your friends? What about in your finances, in your job, in your free time, in your social media posts, in your Internet searches? in your church involvement, in the way that you talk and in what you talk about, in the way that you treat people, people who look like you and think like you, and in the way that you treat people who look different than you and think different than you? Are you walking in a manner worthy of God in all these areas of your life? Are you conducting yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I mean, can can people tell by the way that you live that you are right now being called into God's kingdom and glory? Or does it look like you're being called somewhere else? Does the way you live each day fit more with the ways of heaven or the ways of this world? I just wonder today, do you need to repent of some worldly behavior and then resting in the grace of Christ and trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, change that behavior to align with your heavenly calling. Listen, don't walk away from this message without really examining your life. What's what's one thing? Just pick one thing right now. What's one area of your life where you would say, "I'm, I'm really not living in a manner worthy of God. Take that to the Lord. Repent and ask Him to help you. He will. The second application for us as Christians is this. As a minister of the gospel, and we all are ministers of the gospel. Spent a little while, a couple weeks ago, talking about that. It's not just me, not just a pastor. Every Christian is a minister of the gospel. Make sure you are up front in declaring the whole gospel message. We want to follow the example of of Paul, Silvanus, and and Timothy and make sure that when we proclaim the message of the gospel, we are up front with people, just like they were up front with the Thessalonians. Whether it's with your children or co-workers or other family or friends, make sure you share the benefits of the gospel along with the, the demands that the gospel makes in our lives. 
And tell people what Jesus has done for them, but also be upfront about the life Jesus requires of them after they are saved. Making sure you emphasize God's grace in it all. Genuine gospel ministers never, ever tone down the demands of the gospel. But they always root the demands of the gospel in the sovereign grace of God. Now, I said I had an application for those who are not Christians. Friend, the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners from their sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we were picturing that, that scale a few minutes ago, we're measuring our lives up according to God's. Listen, we're never going to measure up. Never, ever, ever. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't that the Christian's life is perfect and measures up. And the non-Christian's life doesn't. Nobody's life measures up. We're all sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, God outweighs all of us in His holiness. The difference is that Christians have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so now, now as a follower of Jesus, when God sees me, He sees Jesus. That means on, on my side now is the perfection of Jesus, which measures up. And so God is now able to accept me, not because of me, but because of Jesus. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, once he has saved me, I want to live for his glory. But listen, I'm not perfect. My, my only confidence that heaven is my eternal destination is that Jesus paid the price for my sin. And I've just received that gift by faith. And so, listen, non-Christian, if, you, if, if your life doesn't measure up and you, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, the way, to, the way to heaven is not by trying to do a bunch of good things to make up for all the bad things that you've done. The way to heaven is by surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, asking Him to do what only He can do, and that is to rescue you from your inability to measure up to the standard that God has placed in your life. But listen to me. I want to be up front. Remember, I said I wanted to, I want to set an example in this message for what Paul is doing here in this passage. I want to be up front with you, non-Christian. It's not just a ticket to heaven. That you just stick in your pocket. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I ask Jesus into my heart, sticking in my pocket. It doesn't change anything about my life now. But one day when I stand before God, I'll pull that ticket out of my pocket and say, Hey, God, remember back when, when I, when I said that I believed in Jesus, now you're going to let me into heaven because of that. Listen, if that's what you think, you, you, need, you need to go back and listen to this sermon. You need to go and read God's word. The gospel makes demands of our lives. The, the gospel changes who we are. It's not just a, a, a get into heaven free card that makes no difference and makes no impact in our lives right now. The real gospel message is a message of transformation that leads to a life of obedience. The real gospel is a transfer from the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of God, where you live in glad service to King Jesus, not just when you get to heaven, but right now until you get to heaven. The real gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus who is able to rescue you from your sin through his death in your place. So that you who having been born exiled out of his kingdom and having been born a citizen of this world can be born again into his kingdom as a welcome citizen of heaven. And and so that you can now live as an exile in this world for the glory of the king. Who went to battle with Satan and sin and death on your behalf 
who emerged from the grave the victor and who allows you the privilege to share in the victory through submission to him as king. Listen, Paul said it this way in his letter to the Romans, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, listen, that, 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 that's not just live my life however I want to live until I get to heaven. To, to confess that Jesus is my Lord is to say Jesus is the king of my life and he tells me what to do. I take my orders from him. I walk according to his will and his ways. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a, it's a belief, a faith in Jesus that saves you that then changes how you live your life. So, friend, if you need to trust in Jesus for salvation, you can do that right now. But just make sure you know what you're getting into. You are getting into a life of obedience to King Jesus. But listen, it's not a burden. It's not a burden. In fact, this is the, it's the most freeing thing that you'll ever experience in all of your life. To submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, you're no longer submitting your life to the burdens of being enslaved to your sin. That's gone. That weight that you feel, the guilt that you may feel right now because your life doesn't measure up to God. When you come into the service of King Jesus, that weight is gone. Jesus said that he came to lift that burden from us. He took that burden on himself. And so don't don't run from the gospel because of the life that we're called to live. Just know that that's what the gospel is. Count the cost. Before you say yes to Jesus, but I plead with you, say yes. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. It's not always easy. In fact, it's really hard a lot of times to walk in a manner worthy of God. But here's the incredible thing. God doesn't just hang us out to dry, like leave us just out there and say, all right, it's all up to you to try to live to please me now that you're saved. No, he's right there with us. He comes in and fills us with his Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to live the way that he has called us to live. Paul says this at the end of this letter in chapter five, verse 23 and 24. He says, now may the God of peace himself, God himself, sanctify you completely. That means help you walk in a manner worthy of God. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. That's walking in a manner worthy of God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this last phrase. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here, here, this, is the, this is the thing of the gospel. This is why we got to root it in God's sovereign grace in our lives. Even our obedience to his commands is God doing that through us. And so today, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you. Turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus for salvation. And then he will give you the ability through the power of his Holy Spirit in you to live your life in a manner worthy of God. So believe in Jesus today. Become a citizen of his kingdom today by God's grace. And then walk in a manner worthy of God all the rest of your days by God's grace. And as you look forward to that day when you enter, not just spiritually, but physically into his own kingdom and glory, you'll remember that it is by God's grace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, we praise you. Thank you for the way that you work salvation into us and then work your will in our lives out of us. Father, it's all your grace in our lives. Father, as Christians, may we live in a manner worthy of you. Father, may we not compare ourselves to the world around us, but may we strive to be holy because you are holy. 
Father, remembering that it's all by your grace. May our, may our efforts to please you as Christians not lead us to arrogance, but lead us back to the cross time and time again. Father, there's someone today who has never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, today I pray it would be the day that they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. To stop living in the service of Satan, but to live in the service of King Jesus. Father, I pray that you would lift the burden of sin off of them as they place their faith in you and they would live their lives for the glory of Jesus Christ in a manner worthy of you, God, all the days of their life. Father, may our eternal destination impact how we live each and every day. May we be a taste of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.